You know what the problem with having two phones is? Juggling it. Well, yes. Did, which phone do I want to take with me? All that kind of stuff. If I only take, and, but twice the spam calls. No, oh, that's the worst. I get twice the spam calls. You should just yeah. leave one of them on like, I, I wish you could turn off the phone function, but keep the data function. Mm. But you can only do the opposite. You might be able to, but yeah. I, I just don't set up my voicemail anymore. I just don't set it up. You can just set up your voicemail to block everything. For my, that's what I did for my alternate line. Like, I don't even want the calls. Yeah. Right. Well, like, if you just set it to, so if you set your phone to always do not disturb, and then you set your voicemail in your in your cellular provider to just always drop or block the calls, then you just never get them. What happened to the whole, like, the assistant answers the phone and screens the call thing for me? Like, I don't know if I'd actually use it, but is that rolled out? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Like, on my primary line where I have Google Voice associated with it. I get that. And also, I think T-Mobile offers their own screening service that's built into the cellular line. I haven't played around with the one that T-Mobile offers, but I use the one that Google Voice has, and it's really nice. If I was rich, I'd just hire Brent to answer all my calls, you know, with hey that there. Brent charm. Yeah. You've reached Chris Fisher. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, he could, you know, in his charming way. Uh, Please never you know, call. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> just give rid of all my calls. <laughs> <laughs> it's Office Hours with me, Chris. Oh, welcome into the office. Yep, Brent's here too. Hello, Brentley. Oh, hi, Chris. Nice to see your shining face today. Nice to see you. Ooh. And of course, we've got our mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello, hello. Oh. Hello, Brent. <laughs> hello. Now, Brentley, uh, I think here amongst the JB team, sometimes your charm is kind of used like a superpower. When we need to get into a situation or out of a situation, when we need to get access to something, maybe at a location or sort something out at the last minute, we'll send old Brent in because he can usually charm his way in or out of every single situation. <laughs> and the fact that you're connected to me right now talking to me is proof of that because uh, I'm assuming you didn't schedule ahead of time with this co-working space since you can't plan for wildfires and uh, you're just somehow there. So walk us back. Why are you in a remote co-working space <laughs> and um, why is your house uh, about to burn down? Well, thank you. That's quite the introduction. <laughs> I guess about exactly this time, 1 p.m. yesterday, uh, the power just all of a sudden went out and, you know, I've got a UPS and those things. So I was like, ah, whatever. What did you first suspect when the power went out? Because were you was your first thought something's gone really wrong, or was your first thought we just have a little issue here at home? Yeah, you know it's not the most unusual thing near me, especially in the winter. Sometimes we'll get power outages for fifteen minutes here and there, so I thought it was one of those. Uh, but also, it was kind of slightly high winds just around that time, so I thought, okay, maybe a tree brushed against something and they'll fix it. You know, they they have crews and they fix that stuff pretty quickly around me. Uh, so I just went on my drum kit and I played drums for like 90 minutes because I thought, well, I'm not going to get any work done. I'm just going to do that. Wait, so you're actually the living meme of the guy that just goes about his day while the world burns around him? That's You're actually that guy? <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. Although at that point, I didn't realize the world was on fire. Right. So I think that's part of the meme, Brad. Well, geez, it is, eh? Gosh. <laughs> but so I set up like the fan where I do my drumming. So that it would turn on like in 15 minutes when the power goes on and then I would be like nice and cool. It's summer, right? It never came on and I just roasted. So after 90 minutes, I came out and I was like, what is going on? So I went outside and it turned out there was a massive fire, like relatively close to where I live. 
and somewhat unusual. The power going out for 15 minutes, pretty usual. Giant plumes of smoke, like forest fire. Actually, I thought it was an industrial fire at the time. That is very unusual. So then I went into, you know, that kind of panic mode that you go into. You're like, oh, okay, this is far more serious than I, you know, spent the last 90 minutes thinking. Right. And are you the only one at home at this point? Or It's me and four furry friends, you know, our pets uh-huh. and stuff. And that's about it. So it's totally up to me. And, you know, we have some preparedness for forest fires. We have them around here quite often. I guess living in the Canadian wilderness, that's just kind of how it goes. But this was relatively close. And so I started thinking, okay, well, I got to prepare. So I started like hauling generators because like the power is going to be out. I'm sure that fire was caused by the power going out. And sure enough, it was. There are reports that some lines went down and caused several forest fires in that area. And they eventually all joined into one massive one, which is the situation we have today. Yeah, it went from something at that time was around 20 hectares and now it's 800. So it has really grown. And this is maybe like crow flies a mile away from where I am. So that's... This is serious. Now, there is like a creek or, or something between you. There is a small river. Yeah, it's fed by mountain water like runoff and that's actually the water we're drinking right now which is really good water it turns out i might bathe in it later we'll see yeah other than all the pooping Mm, i don't think of that so there is a barrier there a natural barrier but i got really worried because about 30 minutes after that situation i was just describing the wind was perfectly in my face very strong i could see the fire growing and also ash was just like snowing on me oh boy so even though the fire's far away, you can have embers and stuff in a large fire that can, you know, catch your buildings on fire and such. So we spent the evening, well, the early part of the evening, kind of going around and preparing and trying to make sure that we, you know, we're in a good place. What are you, what are you by preparing, are you trying to put combustibles away? Are you wetting things down like what is preparing for a we have a bit of a you know forest fire plan and part of that plan in this exact situation is okay we have a sprinkler system so use the sprinkler system to get all the grass wet around our homes and that way you know if embers fall the chances of it catching is very low and we kind of do that all all season so our grass is fairly green despite us not really caring about that kind of thing we do it for fire fire reasons but because the power was out no sprinklers because we also pull from a well that has a massive pump. You know, 220 volt well pump. Yeah. So I was right. I was just kind of standing around going, well, actually, I don't know. I can't do anything, <laughs> which is sort of interesting. Luckily, my twin brother, who lives on the same property as me, he fought forest fires for several years oh. when he was younger, so like jumping out of helicopters and all this stuff. So he has an extremely good understanding of what the danger level actually is. I don't know this stuff. So I was just kind of coming to assumptions, but what's his assessment? Yeah. Well, at the time he came home and he, he said, well, actually, you know, we could do a few things, but they're taking care of it and it's supposed to rain overnight, et cetera, et cetera. So, oh, so God, let's hope. Yeah. My stress level went way down, which is really good. So we ended up like flying kites and taking advantage of the wind. And it was like plumes of red, you know, fiery smoke in the sky. It was really gorgeous. So we had an amazing wow. evening and like grilled steaks and all these. Why the world, why the world burns around I mean, you. what else are you going to do? Right. You know, I, I, I think part of me, I mean, part of me would be very concerned, right? Obviously that the most of me, but then there'd be this little part of me that would be like, 
Let it all burn. Let's burn it all down. Just burn it all down. Try again. You know, let's, yeah, let's, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Um, you know, get rid of all the things I'm attached to and just burn it all down. That sounds incredible sometimes, but I, I, sometimes I enjoy the doomerism. So are, are you genuinely not too concerned, but you're just, you're at the co-working space. You charmed your way in at the last minute because there's no power, thus no internet. Yeah. I thought I'd give you a better internet situation. You've been asking for a couple of years now. And uh, <laughs> it's ironic because you just actually ordered Starlink. Yeah, so. it, is, it hasn't arrived yet. It's supposed to get here tomorrow. <laughs> But also, if, you know, some very keen listeners will remember that I was in this exact co-working space doing Linux Unplugged and also the Friday show, if you remember, back in 2018. So I have been to this co-working space before, but I kind of didn't have to charm my way in this morning. Uh, I probably arrived here maybe 15 minutes ago <laughs> and I just walked in and said, hey, can I just use the space? for nothing. I don't have a membership or anything, but I've been here before and I live, you know, in that cute town over there and everybody's like, Oh yeah, it's on fire. Right. And I was like, yeah, can I just record a podcast? And he's like, you can take all day. We have snacks coming out at one o'clock. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So the charm strikes again. I've always wanted to do it. I've never done a podcast from a co-working space because I visited a couple sort of Thinking, you know, I go to a town in the RV and we'd be parked there for a little bit. And one of the things Hadi and I would do, the wife and I, is we'd kind of check out co-working spaces if we ever wanted to return. Because maybe it's just more feasible that I just do the shows from a co-working space. I, I don't know. I've never tried it. But everyone I've kind of looked at has never really been optimal for recording. Like you could probably get by with a Zoom meeting or a phone call, a conference call perhaps. But like recording audio, they've never really... They've never really lived up to like my expectations because they don't build them for that. But I don't know. I mean, you kind of slammed one together pretty quickly. Well, I, as you might imagine, have quite a bit of experience just slapping together some podcast appropriate spaces. I would call this one one of my worst, actually, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I've been under mattresses, like recording stuff and hotel rooms upside down. And in Nextcloud, you should have seen their faces when I was reorganizing all the furniture when I was there a couple of months ago. But it's interesting. I would say this co-working space has a lot of potential, but they don't, for people who don't do audio very often. They have a very different idea of what a good podcasting space is. I'm in yes. this current tiny room, which is probably four feet square. That's about how much, how big this space is. And they call it the phone booth, which is actually a terrible phone booth because it's extremely reverberant. I'm super w way, way closer to the microphone than Drew wants me to be right now because I'm trying to kind of help that. But it's lined with like corrugated plastic that looks like metal I, actually it might be metal i don't know but it's not good yeah it looks like corrugated metal but i noticed there's a room just over there that has like sofas and it looks super comfy but and it sounds way better but i thought i was gonna be pushing my luck at that point if i was reorganizing furniture already right and it's a if it's a bigger room you know they could fit more people in mm -hmm. there or whatever that but with sound padding on it would actually be perfect. I agree. Smaller space with sound padding can be really great. What we what we were joking about before we started recording is we need like an inflatable recording booth. Something that you could pack in your in your bag and maybe you hook a pump up, maybe you have to blow it blow it up or something, or it's got a foot pedal. And it just creates a little, you know, it could be tiny, right? You really two by two, four by four. You don't need a lot. 
God, that'd be, it'd be, uh, I'd buy that product. Yeah, I'd but I could that. imagine how warm it would get in there. You'd need like some ventilation or something right now. Oh my God. Can you do just like, you know, upper chest and your head? That's really all you need to have sound isolated, right? Right. Yeah, you're right. I think we're onto hmm. something. Silent fans, perhaps. Silent fans. I want to I want to say thank you to Linode. This is the last Linode read in Office Hours, and I was really grateful for them sponsoring this radical experiment of ours. So go say thanks to them and get $100 in 60-day credit when you go to linode.com slash Jupiter. And, of course, Linode is now part of Akamai, and that means they're bringing in a lot more resources, more data centers, but they're going to keep all the tooling, like the command line clients, their great UI all the libraries for the API and, of course, the API itself, all that sticking around, plus their great documentation, but they're just getting bigger and better. It's really exciting to see where they're going to take this because I think they've recognized that the Linode technology and the Linode team are really one and the same, and it's some secret sauce that's made Linode something special. And now Akamai, you know, they have that global reach. They have that. It's funny. It's like as a content creator, they're, they're the aspirational CDN. Like when you can start publishing your content on Akamai, you've really made it right. And, uh, and now Linode's just part of Akamai. It's pretty great. So go get a hundred dollars and support the show, by going to linode.com slash Jupiter. And thanks to Linode. We appreciate them sponsoring the show for as long as they did. And now the show is in the hands of our community, which we'll be following up on in just a little bit. I'm very excited to give you guys a progress update on that. But I wanted to start with something that I'm I'm noticing with independent media, and that is that there's a lot of really crappy incentives that are making independent media creators really just as awful as the mainstream media. And in some cases, it's due to like just making up crap and, you know, not fact checking and being lazy. In some cases, it's due. And I think in a larger part to the incentives that they must follow in order to publish on large platforms. And I wanted to point everybody's attention to an episode of what Bitcoin did, episode 684. And, you know, if you're not into Bitcoin, you can skip all the Bitcoin stuff because at like the 17 minute mark of the show, they get into what I think is a really philosophical discussion around platforms. And Matt O'Dell is a well-known Bitcoiner and a well-known advocate for uh, freedom technology in general, things like encryption, Matrix, Noster, Bitcoin. And he he got into the issues that he sees with Twitter's current direction. And this will get us into what I think overall is a problem facing independent media creators. Under the new leadership, the plan is to move everyone into identity verification. And right now, the identity verification is a credit card payment and a phone number verification. And he actively blocks any of those digital burner numbers. You can still go and get like a prepaid cash burner you can still buy a prepaid Visa card and use that. But most people are using credit cards attached to their name. They're using the same phone number that they've used their whole life. Um, and I have a feeling he's going to increase the identity verification requirements over time. And the plan is essentially, let's make it so every Twitter user is identity verified. And the soft way of doing that, rather than saying all of you need to get identity verified, is we'll give you longer tweets. We'll give you longer videos. And then the really dark part, which is what you highlighted, is essentially we will shadow ban anyone who does not verify their identity. And he doesn't say that. What he says is if you have a blue check, you're at the top of the comments. You're at the top of the algo. My whole feed is just now is just blue checks. Like all I see is blue checks there just pushed in front of my face. 
the blue check system is also a constraintment, but we'll get to that because it's it's flipping a common narrative that we hear on the internet on its head and using that to convince people to identify themselves to get targeted by marketing. And this system that's going to be in place, and we'll get more into this in just a moment, is actually going to be much more insidious than the Google platforms like YouTube. We have that saying that everyone always likes repeating. It's like, if you don't pay for a product, you are the product. So everyone proudly goes and pays for their blue check. And they're like, I'm no longer the product anymore. But they're even a greater, more valuable product than the people that don't verify their identity because he knows exactly who you are. He knows you're not a bot. Um, and he has you and he still serves you ads. Like there's a reason you don't have ad free experience when you pay. It's because he knows you're an even better product to advertisers because he has more data on you than someone who doesn't verify their identity. And to sweeten the pot, starting in the last week, Twitter has announced that they're going to be paying creators. Twitter Blue subscribers are getting notifications that there's going to be a monetization program, revenue sharing, but even more attractive than what YouTube offers today. Uh, in fact, uh, some creators are getting as much as $25,000. One reported $40,000, some $5,000, $2,000. Real money that these independent media creators aren't going to be able to turn down. The independent media person uh, was supposed to be the answer to that. Anyone could be an ind independent media personality or an influencer. That was supposed to be uh, the way to democratize access to news and content and media and whatnot. Most of those people rely on these centralized social platforms, including Twitter. They are building revenue streams into them, and they have centralized control over whether or not you have reach or not. So if you speak out of line five years, six years, seven years on Twitter, blue check removed, you lose your revenue stream, you lose your reach, you're in the same exact situation as corporate media. You just added Elon into the mix where Elon gets cut of the revenue as well. Um, but in practice, you end up in the same result as a host on CNN. Or a YouTuber who, uh, you know, always has to follow the shifting sands of what YouTube wants to promote via the algorithm. And these publishing endpoints that everybody goes to to reach the users, Twitter, YouTube, Meta, now Threads, when they start adding monetization options, people have a hard time saying no to $5,000 just for tweeting stupid crap. And so you're not going to really want to give that up. So you just start self-censoring. You just start self-selecting a little bit more carefully. And over time, you just participate in the same narrow band of discussion that the mainstream media participates in because the people who lended Elon money are the same banks that own CNN and Fox News. It's all the same banks. It's all the same financers. It's all the same centralized interests. Yeah, Elon sold a lot of stock, but he also got a lot of loan money from BlackRock and Fidelity and others. And guess who the largest shareholder of Fidelity is? BlackRock. So it's really all BlackRock. And uh, same with YouTube, large investors over there. It is, it is I think, creating a, a new type of gatekeeper. And the money is the way to get these independent creators to be complicit with it and to go along with it voluntarily. Because, you know, it's hard. It is really hard to make money online on the Internet. And if you can just tweet your stupid hot takes, right? If you can just you can just tweet your stupid hot takes and you know make five thousand. Like I was watching Tim Pool. He made something. He made some ridiculous amount of money. Um, over over six grand, might have been over ten grand. I can't remember. 
And his first comment was, I didn't post anything of quality. I just posted stupid and I got, I got paid. Do you think he's going to want to do something now that he's hypercritical of Elon or Twitter? I, I probably wouldn't if I were, if I were going to start making 10 grand a month from Twitter, I might just naturally be incentivized to look at everything they do in a more favorable light, just voluntarily. Because $10,000 makes a big difference, especially for an online creator. I don't know, Brent, you think I'm taking this too far? Or do you think we're kind of just creating a new set of gatekeepers that just basically re-implements the mainstream media, but just more distributed? It has me thinking a little bit about, like, this is not quite the right term, but it'll help explain it, like survivorship bias. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is the, the folks who are getting paid this much, I wonder what percentage of the user base is getting that. Uh, of course, it's the top, you know, however many percent, which is really interesting. But I'm curious as well about, you know, we've seen the decentralized alternatives. Mastodon's a huge one for Twitter. Are they going to solve any of these kind of issues? Because this centralized power, like you're saying, is easy to tweak for those who have their hands on the knobs. You know, you change a little setting here and there, and all of a sudden your user base might think differently of you. And in this case, if it might be more positive than it is supposed to be. So I'm, I'm curious if you think that from what we've seen in the last several months since Twitter has changed dramatically, is the decentralized option even a solution to some of these problems? Are we, are we seeing that as a way of fighting back to that? Or is it just kind of an alternative that's just side by side and doesn't really have an effect? Well, that's a good question, really. I don't know if we know yet. You know, the thing that I really observed about Mastodon is when I realized I had like a 10 plus, four, whatever, 14-year-old account or whatever it was, Mastodon, and I've seen this over and over again with free software, was always there. It was in the background getting developed, getting better, getting more mature, getting refined. I think it probably had more to go, but it, that process was going on at the rate that it often does in free software. And then... Elon came along and bought Twitter and all of a sudden Mastodon was just at the right place at the right time. And it just saw a massive boom. I think that could happen again for Noster. See, it's, it's difficult because Noster is like HTTP, right? You could, you can run Twitter clones on Noster. You can run Craigslist clones. You can run website. But I heard a statistic in that interview with Matt O'Dell that I think is probably accurate. And that is about 20% of the people that try Noster stick with it. So it got about a 20% retention rate. So they're growing at a decent clip. That feels really high. Yeah. Um, and the technology is very interesting, right? Because it's a relay technology. So you could use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, and I've, I've been using it for about two weeks pretty seriously. And I am tempted to just kind of make it my exclusive social media, not because I think it's going to be very big. I don't, I bet you there's probably in total 20,000 users, 15,000 users, something in that range. But, um, it doesn't have that problem where I feel like Mastodon instances, individual Mastodon instances, obviously threads and uh, Twitter and Instagram and all those, they're designed in a way that presumes humans won't play to their incentives. And it presumes that humans don't want power and control. They're designed in a way that presumes human behavior is going to be idealistic in all scenarios uh, in hard times and in good times. And I, I think it's maybe okay to expect that in good times, but unrealistic to expect it in bad times. And things that are more like Nostra designed or Bitcoin designed, or even, you know, in a lot of cases, free software. I mean, Linus has said this about Linux. It's 
those the technologies that seem to be more resilient are the ones that thrive when people play to their incentives and when people when people are scratching the, their own itch or solving their own problems and then there's a network effect that occurs there and so Noster, because it 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 is to move to a different system like say you're just using the mobile apps you just take your your private key you copy it from the from the app you're leaving and you paste it in the new app you're right back everything's there your presence is the same your identity is the same you're now on a new system screw what those other guys were doing doesn't affect you at all and we saw this happen in turkey or turkey um where elon sort of compromised around the elections and 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 helped the turkey the current turkey regime censor uh election discussion and debate which really stinks because there's a lot to debate over there and Noster wasn't impacted by this at all right you saw you still saw people that were posting anti-current regime sentiment was it couldn't be taken down it wasn't taken down it's probably under their radar all this stuff where twitter was you know elon gave the nod to to follow the demands and uh there's just nobody to make that decision there's it's sort of resistant against that type of thing i mean an individual relay could try to censor but you can use multiple relays at the same time too so um <laughs> i think long term it's probably going to build it's probably going to get more viable uh, i think we just see this with free software technology over and over again it's the same process now chris you've been you know maybe paying attention to the tech industry for a short time now do you feel like we're seeing more of these you know small solutions to what are otherwise huge problems uh you know around privacy and encryption and censorship and that do you think we're seeing more of those like more of them being innovated at a rate these days than we did maybe even 10 years ago mm, no but that's my answer no but no but what we're seeing now is incorporating lessons learned like uh library you know lbry uh they announced they're officially toast um they had a coin i told everybody this years ago i warned everyone even my friends that were making content and publishing over there and stacking the Libre token. I warned everyone this was a shit coin. They're going to get busted by the SEC. And the whole thing's going to fall apart. Because they're using it to finance the operation. That is exactly what happened. It has been a multi-year process. And this week they've announced they're totally folding. And I think what the lessons that I took away from that are. Um, if one of these systems is a Web3 thing with a token involved. Avoid it. Number one. And number two, it has to be more than just decentralized in name, right? Like you can have the Libre protocol and all of that kind of, you know, theoretically you could have multiple library instances and all of that. But if it's really the biggest one that draws everybody is one big instance and that's where the coin makes all its money and all that, like it's just, that's not actually decentralized. So I think when you look at things like Noster or you look at some of other things like SimpleX, which I'm also really liking still, or Simplex, however you want to call it. Those are, those are, I think, learning on the previous attempts, you know, building on the good technology, solving some of the back end problems that we didn't really have an answer for that always sort of led to centralization. Curious if you have a uh, hot take, at least up to this point on threads, where do you think that fits into all this? I don't know. Their traffic's down. Everybody was so hyped. They got a hundred million users, but the traffic is uh, on the decline. Um. You know, it's like the Disneyland of social media. So, you know, people love Disneyland. 
Although right now Disneyland has historically low attendance. I go on, I've always been on the internet for the weird, but I've been on the internet since I was using Gopher and BBSs. So I, and those, that was the, those were the house of weird. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. Usenet, boy, it gets real weird on Usenet. And, uh, I think that's always been, I've always, I've always been the guy that likes to laugh at the uh, tabloid covers as I go. I don't buy them, but I look at the covers, especially the crazy ones. I just enjoy it. So for me, it doesn't really appeal. Somebody sanitized version of discussion. It feels like uh, I'm going back to school and there's a teacher there telling me what I can and can't say. I read online that if you're on threads, I don't know if this is still the case, but if you're on threads and you search for like marijuana, the first results are addiction, help, and, uh, you know, drug abuse links and stuff like that. So it has a very parental feel to me, hmm. what's allowed in bounds. And that's clearly to make it safe for advertising, to make a brand safe and all that. And so be it, I suppose. I don't know. Not my bag, but I don't really judge anybody that gets something from it because, you know, everybody like I, I, I consume things that are probably not healthy for me. L. Dewey in our chat room made an interesting point in question. He wants to know what our thoughts are on AI being used to mass produce and deploy content on Twitter to try to increase like the that's totally what's going to happen. Right. Is if you post more and you get more views, you just would have to have a model that could really generate something that really gets people going. <laughs> something. You know, Chris, you said what's going to happen like it's happening in the future, but I'm sure that's happening already. We just have no, like, it's a hard thing to measure. I know. I think you're probably right. How would you know if it's, if they're doing a good job, you would know, right? Best case is you have no idea. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that episode of what Bitcoin did is probably worth your time. I'll put a link to it in the show notes because it got me thinking a lot about how, you know, why, why is it now with all this independent media, you know, you got so much that very, very little of it is actually very good quality and very little of it is new discussion or original discussion. And a lot of it is still just group think. And why is that? And I think putting some of this into perspective about the way to reach users is through these commercial platforms and you have those constraints, which is, uh, makes me glad that, you know, there's ways to build your own communities, tools like matrix and others that you can self host and build a community off those platforms. And JupyterTube, PureTube. You know, if we want to do video, we'll do it over there. All right. So, with that out of the way. Back home baller. Damn straight, y'all. We got a lot of ballers this week. So, we announced the new bounty format for office hours. It's really kind of a hedge against overextending the production. So, we don't end up producing ourselves into a big debt during the adpocalypse. So, what we thought we'd do is we'd set a bounty of 1.5 million sats per released episode when we reach that bounty we produce an episode we'll try to we'll try to put as much value into it as we possibly can and so we announced this last week this is our last regular production of office hours was the last uh, advertised financed i guess advertising financed episode i guess you could say and we're moving now into the new model and we'll start with donnie who sent in 194,902 sats and he is our baller this week I sent it in from the podcast index and he writes, I'm a member of the network for a few months already. Personally, I prefer the frictionless credit card approach for paying for memberships, but I decided to make the effort of going through the loops and get some sets. Not sure about the new experimental approach of financing podcasts, but I'd like to help and get it running. This is my favorite kind of boost. Like they're a little sat skeptical. They're a little skeptical about what we're trying to do, but 
they're still on board to help us try to make it happen. And also being a party member, it, that's really, you know, that's not, it's not always a trivial effort to get those first sats. And I want to recognize and appreciate that, especially if you're already kind of a little skeptical about the idea. We are too, although I have some good news, but uh, we are too. I mean, we don't know, right? And I also acknowledge that you know, office hours is important to some folks. In fact, I felt that a lot with these booths, but it's not like, I don't know. I feel like some of our other shows, like they probably, they probably generate more value for other folks. I just wasn't sure if this is the right show, but to, to try to do this, right? Like if we tried to do this on Linux Unplugged, it'd probably be successful every week, but doing it here, it felt like the right move because this is the show that we create for our community. And now it's going to be made possible by our community. And it always should be that way, right? And if it doesn't need to be on a regular schedule, it doesn't have to work like that with this show. And this show has the most possibility for us to experiment with, especially now that it's just not really even, you know, one of advertisers don't want a show like this anymore. So it gives us a lot of free license. And I'm going to talk more about some of the stuff I'm going to do uh, during our downtime, some of the stuff I'm going to tinker with uh, in a little bit. But we'll keep going for now. Coffee, bacon, and Linux boosted in. <laughs> it's great. With 117,941 sets using Podverse. I hoard that which your kind covet. So I came up with a plan to buy sats equivalent to one hour of my income each month. Then I use that to donate to podcasts. This is my first month of doing this, and I thought I'd send the full amount to Office Hours. Uh, yeah, I always love the insights Office Hours gives into Jupiter. Here's hoping you hit your target to get a new episode. Out. Wow. Well, thank you. And that is such a great idea. And I can see you're blushing. I'm blushing over here, but your face just got a little red. That's such a sweet <laughs> message. It is. It's really nice. It is. And I love coffee, bacon, and Linux. Although coffee doesn't love me. Adversary 17, or Adversary 17, as I say, came in with 100,000 sats. How about that? All right. I hoard that which your kind covet. Using the podverse. I'm listening to episode. 32 as a weekly security now listener. Cause remember last week we talked about twit adopting dynamic mm -hmm. ads. I'm still sad about that. He writes, uh, the direction twit this week in tech is heading makes me sad. So Mr. Chris, here's the funding for the next episode of office hours. I really love hearing about the inner workings of JB and your insight into the industry. I've also increased my party member contribution. Wow. And Brent, congratulations on the new position at next. Hey, thank you. What the, this is like week four. And I just basically told them I'm, I can't, I'm out this week. Forest fires and such. Travel. And I'm supposed to travel. Yeah, I'm supposed to travel to Berlin. Like, what, two days from now? I don't know if that's going to yeah. happen. So, and we yeah. have a meetup on Saturday. I hope that still can happen. But it's... Do you go if the fire's still going, though? It's a really tough decision. I, yeah. I would say, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a brother and his wife who are on, like, 100 feet away from me who will take care of, you know, my belongings and my cats and such. So potentially, yes. Is that the right thing to do? Like maybe I should stay and support them and make sure things aren't on fire. I'm not sure. Please let me know what I should do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boosting with advice. <laughs> Eric came in with 50,000 sats. Hey, I've been a party member for a while now, but I bought some Satoshis a little bit ago and I wanted to learn more about lightning. I ended up not doing very much with them. They're just kind of accumulating, I guess, dust. I really like the idea of the boost and the value for value format. And I'd like to hear an update in the future on how Satoshi's plus Zeus in the cash app works for you. Keep up the great work with JB. 
Looking forward to seeing you at Linux Fest Northwest, listening from Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah, hey, fellow Canadian. Thank you, Eric, for the 50,000 sats. Appreciate that. And uh, that setup right there is killer right now. So if you if you get some sats into Albi and you don't want to boost all of them in, you want to spend some of them or something like that, you can use the Zeus app to connect to your Albi balance. And they have some instructions in the settings. It is a little buried, but you can find it. And the Zeus app is... Such a sweet little lightning app. Minimum viable open source app that also can run its own lightning node now. Really slick. And using that, you can just manage the sats any way you want. I mean, you can send them anywhere. You could you could send them to the Cash App. That has been working really well for me. You can also go directly from Albi to the Cash App. And then with the Cash App, what is fantastic about it is you get a debit card if you want. It's free. Or you can pay a little bit more and get a fancy one or something like that. And then whatever, whenever you cash out the sets, whatever the balance is in the cash app, you can either transfer that to your bank account or you can spend it with the debit card. You got to be aware of the fact that when you're cashing out of Satoshi's, if there's been a big time range from when you bought them, then there's probably been an evaluation change in the price. And so you'll have to keep track of that. The cash app, though, does all of that for you and it'll actually export a report. So it makes it dead simple to monitor all that. Bear454 comes in with 50,000 sats. Tough little ship. Little. I want to do a Star Trek one. Uh, and he writes, Linux Action News was, is my favorite show. And the number one reason I subscribed to Jupiter Party. Office, office Hours, though, is number two. Distance, a distant number two, though, because of the length. He's a short potter. He says, uh, so I hope you get some good feedback on the quick news hit. It was appreciated. I don't always have time for a full hour show like love. Yep. That, you know, Bear, that is exactly like you're our target market with Linux Action News. Get you in, get you out. We we pride ourselves so we can get it like 15 minutes or so and still get you some valuable information that you're like, I'm glad they covered that. That's really our goal. And the summer is historically really slow for Linux news. And with the ad market being slow, it just seemed like that's the place to go. We we thought about doing a similar bounty system there with LAN, but as you just pointed out, it would add a considerable amount of runtime to the show. And we'd, we want to avoid that. And there's some shows where that kind of high high touch interaction seems to actually benefit the show a lot. And then there's some shows where I think it wouldn't. And I think land kind of fits in the, in the former category, although we did get some great boosts. So yeah, yeah, you know, who knows, who knows we're experimenting now. It's all an experiment. Mm -hmm. Office hours. What happens here is going to kind of help us figure it out. I would expect Chris that, uh, at least for the summer, Linux unplugged, will have a few hits of the most important news, at least at the start of the show. So you could always, you know, listen to the first 10, 15, see what that's like. True. Yeah, I think on average, we're going to probably try to put the new stuff towards the top. And of course, we Drew always does great chapters in Linux Unplugged. So you could always download Linux Unplugged and just go to the news chapter uh, because he really does a great job of making that clear. Withers writes in with 25,000 sats. I always have streaming sats on, but it's not going to work or be enough for the new office hours model. So here's a little bit, a little bit extra con- contribution to the piggy bank because, well, Linux Unplugged. It's just not enough Brent. Oh, geez. So true. Thank you. That's very kind. Oh, look at this. It's nice to see. Listener Jeff comes in with a row of McDucks. Things are looking up for old McDuck. 22,222 sats. I'm glad you guys are trying this pay per episode thing. I love this inside baseball in general podcasting talk and a short pod snip or a pea pod. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I kind of like pod snip. Or I still like pocket pod, too. (laughs) Uh, or a Peapod, he says, ah, Jeff, no, 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 not, not Peapod. P-E-A, I will point out. 
It'd be great from time to time, uh, just as the boost bucket's getting filled. But don't stress on quality of those. Maybe doing less episodes can help raise the value of the show. People will miss it, but when an episode does drop, it'll be glorious. <laughs> I also think it'll be an interesting way to help understand how you perceive the value of an episode. I know how hard it is to quote a job, but my customers don't, and I sometimes wish they did. Either way, I'm all for it. Maybe we, the listeners, can work together to reach that 1.5 mil goal on a bi-weekly basis so nothing changes. If you will have to raise, then you'll have to raise, you'll have to raise it to get more time for that farm. <laughs> that probably is the first, one of the first things I think I'll do is probably a farm day when we have a Tuesday where we're not recording. You know, Chris, the, uh, the fascinating thing, thing here that stands out to me is, uh, we'll, we'll read the total from all of these wonderful boosts here at the end, but it's surprisingly close and we might just be on a regular two week schedule if this keeps up. We're getting there. The Muso comes in with 20,000 sats using Podverse. I, uh, li- I used to listen to a podcast that had dynamic ad insertions. I enjoyed the podcast well enough, but the dynamic ads drove me away, despite the content being very interesting to me. I'll never support a podcast with dynamic ads again. I cannot stand it. Thank you for sticking to your guns. Brent, I shared a story with you and Wes. This previous week, I was listening to a podcast that is about the podcast industry. and they're, you know, generally commentators on podcasting, podcast formats, sometimes specific shows and hosts, but not very often. And they've been around forever. And I decided to, this is like the third or fourth time I've listened to the podcast. And I, I hit play on this last episode and they they kind of do like a little bit different intro every time. So when I hit play, it was something really goofy and wacky, like a Billy Mays style thing. And I thought, oh, they're doing a parody of like a really bad ad. That's funny. And then it kept going. And I, I all of a sudden had this sensation, like I didn't know where I was or like what was going on. Like, this isn't a parody. This was an ad that had been inserted into the beginning of the show that just hard cut stops. And then their own wacky version of an introduction starts. That's so incongruent with like the Billy Mays Swiffer ad that I just got. And then the show starts and I couldn't believe it. So I thought, oh, i got to tell Brent and Wes about this. This was the most, I, I, it felt unsettling. I was, I, I was just completely like, what is going on? And this is totally jarring. Jarring was another thing that I felt. So then I sent the, the boys the link and I go to play it again, thinking maybe I'll audio capture it just because it's so ridiculous. And the second time I hit play, I got an ad, a totally different ad. It isn't even in English. So they're completely scamming these advertisers wow. by playing non-English speaking ads or in, yeah, to an English speaking audience and then still charging them for the download. And it's just like, I couldn't even, it was like French. I couldn't even understand the ad. Maybe, I don't know. It might've been, it might've been Canadian for all I know. Very jarring and just so gross. Okay. So what's your likelihood of listening to that podcast again? I'm not gonna. Hmm. I deleted this. I deleted the feed. It was an unsettling sensation. And I thought, you know, these guys should know better. And I, it made me think that like, you got to be really careful. I bet, I bet those ads start right at the beginning of the pod. They probably pay out the most because people don't skip those. I mean, they just get played immediately. So they could probably get counted. If you play three or four seconds of the ad, it probably counts. Even if you, you know, and so, you know, by the time you scramble to your phone to hit skip, they've already counted it as a play. And so it's, it's a high payout dynamic ad, no doubt about it. But it made me think like there's got to be a better way, like like what we do with our shows, right? When we're going to when we're going to go to an ad in in like Coda Radio, I have this. 
right? And I then when we're when the ad's over, get the hell out of here. You know, I play like a little jingle to get us out. And it, and it's like all you'd have to do to have made that a better experience is have like, you know, like a little jingle that the show has started and then play the ad and then when the ad's done or something. Like just give me some key as to what's even going on mm-hmm. when I'm listening. Woof. Woof. March you boost in with 20,000 sats. Funds for the bounty. You have to try Castomatic. It's so slick on iOS. All client side, so no dependency on any servers. It's even found office hours easily on the index. It integrates with Albi. It's now my preferred client over Fountain. It even shows how many sats each party in the split receives from your boost. Magic. I do like that. Most apps will show you if you dig into the UI. They just sometimes just show you the total, but if you dig around in the UI, they'll show you the splits, which I think is, mwah, yes to transparency. Gene Bean, always a great booster, came in with a total of 8,540 sats. This is regarding AI-generated chapters and transcripts. We talked about this. I enabled co-host AI from Buzzsprout from my latest episode of Volunteer Technologist, and it got me 80 to 90% of the way there on both, plus created a new set of show notes way better than what I originally wrote. I only had to make minor edits to the notes. They were 99% good. It also gave title suggestions that I was impressed with and better than what I came up with. Hmm. That's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, but it's also living up to the name. Like, that's a great co-host. If you're coming up with titles and writing the description. And just saying. True. Come on. We got to get this going. Like, even if we adequate, actually. Even if we just didn't use, like, a lot of the times, the output from chat GPT I use is like, it just gets me through the writer block to get me going. Mm. And I'll maybe take a few things here or there. Like when we have it generate tags for us, you know, we'll delete 30, 40% of them. And yeah, it's a, uh, oh. uh, he wants to also know what's up with the move off of fireside, whatever became of that. Um, we're still in the process. We just have slowed down. Although um, I said, I was thinking about tinkering with the show. I realized that if the show goes into an irregular production schedule, then when Drew's done with it and he uploads it to Furside, we wouldn't necessarily have to publish it at that point. Because like, we wouldn't have to get it out like the next day because we're trying to get it out within a certain release window. We could, I could just manually release it after I have crafted the feed for it, handcrafted, using you know time, sweat, and talent, and then make that the master RSS feed. And when I update that, it would have all the podcasting 2.0 features. And, you know, if we're doing one or two every now, it's not a big deal to do it manually. Like if it's a routine, I can't do that manually every time. It was too much. But like if we're only going live every now and then and we're, you know, like I could I could do all that. So I've been thinking that I need more time experimenting with the live stuff. Like before we roll it across all the shows, I just really need to figure out a workflow and a process. And that's the way to do it, I think. So also he gives a boost into say Castomatic's working great. Yeah, it was it was really exciting when you were playing with that earlier. Uh was it earlier in the year? And um I felt like it was going somewhere. We did lose a bit of steam, but I feel like maybe, Chris, if you dig into it again, I bet you're gonna get tired of doing it real manually there for you know, give it two, three episodes and you're gonna say, Hey Wes. Yeah. Hey maybe. community, how do we can we, you'll get new ideas, I think. I, There's an opportunity maybe, maybe, there. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Mm, start making pull requests. Mm-hmm. Leaky Canoe comes in with 5,000 sats, throwing them in for the pot. Thank you, sir. Smart growth, 5,000 sats. Funding boost. Thanks for doing what you do. 
Mere Mortals podcast comes in with 4,444 sets. Is that like a bunch of adult ducks? Quacka waka, it's a treasure. Yippee! He says, wow, the timing on this changed. In the upcoming episode 400 of Mere Mortals podcast, we talked about why we're going value for value or die. No ads ever. Our decision to do less video and to split up the feed into a more JBS style. I really want to thank you, Chris, as I look up to you and Adam Curry as the people worthy of emulation. You really had a big influence on how I want to podcast. Just as I'm just as excited to see how your experiment goes in comparison with Mere Mortals solely going with the value for value approach. Best of luck. Well, thank you. That's a very humbling uh, boost, Mere Mortals, and I really appreciate uh, the kind words there. When we announced it, I was like a little trepidatious and nervous, and now I'm feeling like we're on a roll. I think we got this. I'm looking forward to it. And I feel like when we actually do get to the funding goal, we're going to have a lot of energy to hit that. How is right comes in with 2,100 sats. Don't drive to El Salvador in your RV. <laughs> Remember I mentioned that last week. Uh, there have been some horror stories about going through Guatemala. They'll try to tax you on all your stuff you're driving through with. And he links me to an interview on YouTube. Yeah, I was really kidding. I mean, Jupes, I think she literally would not fit on some of the roads. Uh, I've, I've watched other travel vlogs that have gone down there and yeah, no, there's spots. I don't even think she'd be able to clear. I would maybe do it in a truck with a minimum viable travel setup, you know, maybe an SUV, but I wouldn't do it in my big old 40 foot RV. But I'd love to. I would rather drive for three days than fly for 10 hours. Really? That's your ratio. Oh, easy. I would rather, I would rather drive for a day than fly for six hours for sure. You know, cause when you think about getting into the airport, going through security, getting up early, getting to your other, it takes a day anyways. And I don't really care. Levi's trying to get so comfortable. He's digging into the chair. Levi, you're not gonna be able to dig into comfort over there. Podcast dog. Uh, I, I don't really worry about, I can't really figure out what it is about travel that I hate so much about flying because I love driving. I love going places. I hate flying. I hate it so much. And I don't fear the death aspect of it because I think dying in an airplane crash would be one of the top five ways to go out. I mean, you're famous. How many people do you know? (laughs) Yeah. How many people do you know that died in an airplane crash? Right? Like whatever happened to that guy? He had like a podcast network. Yeah. He died in an airplane crash on his way to El Salvador. No. Yeah. Yeah. Epic, right? Like, that's amazing. So, like, I'm all for dying in an airplane crash. I bring it on. But I still hate it. Once we're in the air, I'm good. But I hate airports. I hate the trap. I hate the security. So maybe it's the loss of governance. Yeah. I hate security theater. I hate what that represents. All of it. I, I hate the boarding process, the, the off-boarding process. Do you kind of feel like cattle when you're, you know, going through security and, and all the lineups and everything? And Definitely, yeah. Don't stray too far from what everyone else is doing. And all I can see is like, well, that could be optimized. That could be optimized. We don't need to be doing that. That's absolutely crap. Is this thing going to give me cancer? Oh, Look at those people. They don't know what to do. You know, it's just the whole thing is horrible. That's far too logical, Chris. Come on. It's just awful. So uh, I would way rather drive if I could to El Salvador, but... I was thinking about this on the drive down to the studio today. It's like, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to travel and I'm probably not going to be great that day. You know, I'm probably going to be a little stressed out, anxious. Can you take a boat? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> That'd be so awesome. Yeah. I've been able to master travel. You know, when I, when I frequently fly down to Linux Academy, I knew exactly what gate I was going to be at. I'd always take the same airline. 
I loved Alaska Airline. I became a member of their little, you know, lounge thing so I could go get breakfast, have myself some time to sit and download videos on their fast Wi-Fi, and then, you know, just walk out right over to the gate, board, and then I knew right which gate to go to in, in DFW, and it was so smooth. I actually enjoyed that process, and I left a go bag at Linux Academy so I didn't have to have, like, a bunch of luggage because I hate that, too. I just had my backpack with my laptop and my tablet and everything I needed, all my toiletries and my clothes were already at Linux Academy. And that really was like a refined travel for me. But outside of that, I just absolutely hate it. So we'll see. I'm not going to drive my RV. You're right, Hal, as always. But I am going to fly and it's going to be awful. Dark Matter PHP Dev comes in with 4,000 sats using Fountain. Well, I've listened to Chris bang on about the coming changes to podcast advertising for the last year and wondered if the somewhat dire predictions were going to be accurate. Now, I see it arriving in spades. I listen to a non-tech podcast move to dynamically inserted ads with growing realization. Not to diss Joe and the late night Linux crew, but their move to non-tech related ads and dynamic insertion as proof of what you've been warning has arrived. It's sad times for podcasting, but I'll still be listening. Yeah, I don't, I agree. I think transitions can be tough. And I think we're in a transitionary time. You hear Mere Mortals is going all in on value for value. We're experimenting with it here. Like my goal is to try to get to the towards the end of the year to have it be one of the predominant sources of income so that that way the listener is the largest customer and through the memberships, I want to underscore that, and the boosts, I think we're getting there. It's a risky strategy, though, and it means living really lean while you build it. And that's sort of why I'm frustrated a little bit is because if some of my other friends would have figured it out, too, we could have all done the rising tide together mm. boats thing and be a little bit further along than we are now, but we're getting there. Thanks to you, great folks out there who are supporting grounded grid comes in with 5,000 sats. Okay. So it's pronounced kank cookie. We were really trying to struggle with this and I probably still got it wrong, but he says uh, there used to be a pair of lovely gazebos there. You can Google it up. It sounds like it's time for the community to step up and support. I know myself, I've been slacking a bit. What is JB's preferred way to take the contributions? Is it the comfort and reliability monthly amounts or is it the pioneering decentralized system for the future? I fear they're not totally compatible. Grounded, I'll tell you how I think about it. And I'd love to know if this makes sense to you, because I think that's a great question. I look at the monthly contributions as it's great for the business because we know what that run is. And so we know like, okay, we can afford to produce these shows, even if the advertisers drop out. Doesn't mean we necessarily are able to do much more than that or like pay me, but we know we can produce these shows. And the memberships are great for that because the more that grows, the more that grows our ability to just have a base run of shows. I view the booths as a value contribution back for the for a particular production. Um, we're changing that a little bit with office hours because there is no advertising monetization at all now in office hours. But I feel like in the case of like Linux Unplugged and self-hosted and, and Coda Radio and when we bring land back, like that mix there to me is is like sort of perfect because it's like we know we can produce these shows. Like we knew we had to cut back on land for a bit. We're hoping that if we if we're careful and cautious we'll be able to be at a point where we can bring it back, maybe even without advertising, maybe with one sponsor, whatever it might be. That might be an option, right? Is we have a sponsor, but it's only one sponsor. Like Coda Radio, for example. Coda Radio, <laughs> during the boom times, I, 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 was, I was beating off advertisers with a stick. I am not exaggerating. I'm telling you daily pitches, sometimes multiple pitches a day to advertise on Coda Radio. I could always sell ads on Coda Radio. It's been around forever. It gets great downloads. Developers are an in-demand 
demographic by certain types of advertisers. No, your jet brains out there, your data dogs out there, of course, your Linodes and stuff like that. Never had a problem selling ads. Coda Radio currently has one ad. If we didn't have a membership program, Coda Radio would be on hiatus right now. Uh, but between the membership program and the boost, we're making like 70 ish percent, 75 ish percent of what we would have made, maybe 60%. It's, it's, we're, we're, it's slowly growing. So I'm, I don't have specifics, but it is each week. It's getting a little bit bigger and I'm being more and more transparent about that in the particular show. And so we're keeping it going because we've got that member base. Then we get those production boosts. And when you add the two up, we can keep Coda Radio going. It's a, it's a bit of a loss, but we know we can make it sustainable. And so we're going to keep it. And that we made the, we made the call to keep Coda Radio hiatus in land. And if it wasn't for the combination of thank you for that individual episode, I got value from that production, or this is just the way I prefer to contribute. That's what some of the boosts are is they just prefer to contribute that way. Plus that foundational base of the memberships, I wouldn't have been able to make that tactical call to keep coder and pause land. So that's how I see them kind of working together, kind of in unison. But I wonder if that makes sense to you, Grounded, because I'd love to kind of tighten it up and make that explanation make sense to everybody. Budget Eye Stormtrooper comes in. Bug Eyed Stormtrooper comes in. I like Budget Eyed too, but Bug Eyed Stormtrooper comes in with 2,500 sats from Fountain. I'm going to miss Linux Action News, but uh, I thought the episodes that call for more sats could be the Office Inbox episode or some variation of that. And to encourage more boost to Office Minutes, short episodes could include a question that listeners could boost answers to. Hmm. All right, Brent, when you think of a question from the audience, you got to write it down now so we start having material. All right. Keep a list. Yeah, we get a surprising number of questions. So I think I think they're on to something here, Bug Eyed. Oh, we got a no-name 9,000 sat boost from Podverse. So if you're out there, you got to go set your name. But I wanted to thank you. They write, I like the idea of unifying community goals such as boost bounties. I think this will additionally help drive more engagement such as myself as a first-time booster. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you for being a first-time booster. And it six comes in for plus one to potentially office shorts and irregular episodes. JJ Jammer J is back with 5,000 sats to say thanks. And uh, we got a bunch of other smaller amounts. We got some stream sats. Uh, Sir Alex Gate wanted to correct us. The podcasting do consultant. Get your flame retardant pants on, Brent. Oh, did we say a thing? Noster and other open relay systems, for that matter, are not reliable enough for pod ping without centralization. We're thinking about alternatives to Hive under the Podping umbrella. None of them include Noster. Maybe try working with us instead of assuming we only want to use Hive. I don't choose technology out of religious zealotry. The guy who made Podping work. Yeah, I really don't have a. I don't really have much of an opinion on the technology behind Podping. Mostly, I just want it to work. I think the number one criticisms I see, like on Hacker News and those types of places, is Hive. I don't really know much about Hive. I know it has like super short. Uh, block times and stuff like that that make passaging a JSON block around or something like that uh, pretty reasonably fast. That seems useful to me, but I'd always be interested to know what else is out there to make it work. So if you guys have other ideas, Alex, I'd, I'd like to know what are the viable solutions. Is it XMPP? <laughs> it's XMPP, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> I kid. Uh, Cable Spaghetti came in with 1,650 sats. Just boosting into the office hours episode pot, moving from Fountain to Castomatic. It's got a great native iOS app. Man, look at listen to yeah. this. This is like the fourth Castomatic boost. Uh, I'm too lazy to figure out how to move my earned sats. Keep on doing what you're doing. So he sent them to us. Cable spaghetti. Thank too you. Too lazy. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's all on the Lightning <laughs> Network, bro. But you know what? I appreciate you thinking about us. And then my favorite boost from Scott, 1,000 sats. 
using Podverse. I can't think of a message, so hi. <laughs> nice and simple. I mean, quick read. <laughs> all right. So let's get to our total because we're going to take all the sats earned for this episode and put them towards the production bounty for episode 34. So this plus whatever you boost into this episode goes towards the production bounty. And this week we had 25 boosters, which is fantastic because I think like two weeks ago we had like five boosters, 28 total boosts because some people always like to boost in a couple extra times for a total grand sats of 660,799 sats. So we are essentially half the way there. Now, that's a big milestone to get all the way to 1.5 million sats. But we are with actual with an actual striking distance, which really validates this concept. And if we get another round of support like we got for this episode, we could really be back here in just a couple of weeks. If we miss that and we don't quite quite get there, I will. I'm going to try to do some short updates anyways. I'm going to be out in the woods and we try to do some shorties. And, and perhaps at that, I could do like a little uh, update on the totals and whatnot, too. So. Very excited about the experiment so far. Thank you, everybody who helped support the show, either through upping your membership or by boosting in. And we're putting all that towards episode 34. Really, really appreciate all the support. What do you think, Brent? Better than you expected? You know, last episode, I was nervous. And now I'm just, like, excited. I think we're going to get there, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to create in the process. Imagine, like, it's really sinking in that it may be within our grasp to fully produce an episode with no sponsor income required. That would be such a milestone. I can't even like, cause before what we've always done, if the show doesn't have sponsorship, JB just eats it. <laughs> you know, right. we just eat the production cost. And then like, you know, I am always like arguing with the accountant about like why we're not making enough money. <laughs> like, cause I just eat, I just pay, we pay people and we just eat it. And this could be a shift at the most important critical time in podcasting while we've been in production for 18 years. And it's amazing that we got this close. Uh, and it's really validating uh, for the show itself, too, because, you know, we weren't even sure if people would be interested. And uh, that's been answered. So thrilled that we may be within a stone's throw to fully producing a show, being able to pay Drew. We are in the splits as well. But that's one of the things we did is we upped the splits. So that's how everybody's getting paid via the splits. And it's all transparent to you and the audience. You see how, how much everybody's going to make. And you see, there's not a ton of money involved when you split it up because we're also spend, sending some to the network and we're sending some to some podcast app developers and some to the index. But happy to do it. More than happy to do it because they're all part of what makes it work. So thank you, everybody. That was really fantastic and uh, worth Brent running down to the co-op space at 80 miles per hour or whatever the Canadian equivalent. Well, is. I knew like I couldn't miss this episode. That just wasn't <laughs> even an option for me. So I, I, yeah, there were some hoops that were jumped through. Let's just say that wildfire be damned. Right. Mm, I felt like one yeah. of those, you know, is it dolphins or dogs that jump through hoops on fire? I forget who does that. <laughs> that was me this morning trying to make this episode happen. So thank you for having wow. me. You know, I, you know, I'm going to want updates. I'm going to want, Updates either on Telegram or Slack on what's going on. You got to tell me. You know? Yeah, assuming I have internet access, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll send you some updates. Because uh, also, yeah. get over there and use some of that charm to get them to put this thing out. Because you guys are sending enough smoke down here as it is, and it's really <laughs> inconveniencing me and a bunch of Americans. So uh, yeah, I mean, I know your house and stuff, but the smoke, Brent, the smoke. 
Yeah, all right. Yeah, I can do that just for you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll talk Thank to my people. All right. Well, then we have accomplished everything that I set out to accomplish. Thank you, everybody, for the support. Thank you for joining us on this Full Value for Value production podcast now. And I hope to see you back here in just a couple of weeks. But office hours are officially over. Get out of here. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>